0: What well, is it is good to see everyone this morning on this July 4th weekend. Um, if I didn't get a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Bill. I know we've got some new folks who are with us. And every time you know a new person walks into our church, we, we love it when new, new people come to our services every week. But as somebody who's new, you may not be sure what to expect. And so if I could tell you what we would love to see happen through your involvement at the table, I would sum it up by saying this, that we want to see your faith come alive. Um, for those of you that show up every week, you've been hearing me say that a lot recently, but that's what I hope that we um, see happen in all of our lives is that our faith comes alive so that it guides everything that we do rather than just being this thing that we do or this thing that's on the shelf when we need it, but it is something that is um, determining how we live our lives every single day. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, oh, I need to Sharon, we need to put up our, our guest slot. I almost forgot. So if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. The easiest way to do that is to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668. It's on, uh, on the screen, also on the seat back in front of you. Um, when you text WELCOME to us, you'll receive back a uh, link to a digital connection card. If you would rather not do it that way, after the service this morning, I'm going to head over to our connection area, our connection wall, so out the doors to the right. I'll be over there, and we actually have some Um, hard copies of guest cards over there, so we can do it old school style. You can just fill it out and hand it to to one of us who are over there as well. We want to find out who you are, how we could potentially minister to you and your family. Um, But this is July 4th weekend, and so I was thinking about this. You know, all of us are going to do our different things, Um, maybe some today, some tomorrow, maybe some of both, to celebrate uh, America's birthday, right? So we're going to get together, we're going to watch fireworks, we're going to um, see Joey Chestnut, Ch- Chestnut try to break his world record in the hot dog eating contest. I think it's 75 now or something like that, which is just literally insane. I don't know how anybody can do that. And I'm somebody that eats a lot and has had the ability to eat a lot. Um, but 75, like that's ridiculous. Um, and so we're hoping that Joey can break his record again um, tomorrow. So we're going to do all of these things. But here's the thing I, I think for us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we celebrate the freedom that we have in America, which we have. But we recognize at the same time, the greater freedom that we have is as a result of the work of Jesus, who, because of our faith in Jesus, has set us free from our sin so that we can pursue God with our lives. And so maybe as we're watching hot dogs or watching fireworks, we can re- be reminded of that freedom that we have in Jesus because those of us who are free, we are, he is the one who sets us free indeed. Um, so, just want to kind of think about that. I don't know if you, ever, if you guys ever think about what life is like for a pastor. I don't know if that thought has ever crossed your mind before. As a pastor, though, I, I think being a pastor is really, really interesting for a number of different reasons. It's interesting because of what people tell me sometimes. It's also interesting for me to get to know so many people hear their stories. I think, like, honestly, that's one of the, the, the greatest privileges of being a pastor, is just meeting people, finding out things that they've done, experiences that, that they, they have had, and what God has done in their lives. Like, to me, that is incredible. Uh, it is also interesting, though, the random theological questions that people will ask. And I want to talk about that for just a second, but I want you to know this. I love talking theology And so if you ever have a question about God, the Bible, what we believe, always feel free to ask. You're not going to ask anything um, that I'm not willing to answer. I'd I'd love to sit down and and talk with you. We can have lunch or have coffee or maybe I can answer a question over an email. I mean, if you ever have questions about anything that we believe, always feel free to ask. I love sharing um, just like what we believe in, and what the Bible teaches about the things that we believe in, and why we believe them. So I, I want to just kind of preface what I'm getting ready to say by that. But it is the random theological questions that are interesting sometimes. And so what I mean by that is it, it, it's a, a, a random theological question with no context. Either somebody maybe grabs me either right before a service or after a service and asks me a question, or sometimes I'll get questions from people who've never visited our church before, and they'll send me an email that says, hey, we're thinking about coming, what do you think about this? And so when anybody asks me a random theological question where there is no context, I have no idea why they're asking that question, but there's always a reason why people ask these questions, and so I begin to think in my mind, okay, why are they asking me this? Like, what is it that they want me to say? What is it that they don't want me to say? There's always a reason I know that, and so I'm trying to decipher what that reason is whenever they're asking me that question. Nobody just says, hey, I've been curious about this. I want to know what you think. There's always a reason. It's an experience that they've had, maybe a strong, like, core conviction that they have about something, or maybe something that somebody's told them. And so I'm thinking all all these thoughts are running through my mind as I figure out how to answer this question, because the last thing that I want to do is offend somebody. And so I'm always thinking, okay, like what do they want me to say? What do they not want me to say? What's the, the rationale behind this? Why are they, they asking me this question? Because if I can figure that out, that's gonna shape the way that I answer the question. Doesn't change the answer to the question, but may shape the way that I do answer the question. Well, without context, like honestly, I'm left to guess what it is that or why why people are asking me these questions. So let me give you a couple examples. One question that I get, this one's probably the one that I get the most often, and that is, what do you believe about predestination? Now, if you don't know what that word means, just think about this. It's what does God know and do prior to our coming to faith in Christ, and maybe even when does God know and do it? Which... I don't, on some level, may seem like really simple, but there's differences of opinion on how much God knows and does prior to our coming to faith in Christ. And so, if somebody says, "Hey, what do you believe about predestination?" I'm like, "Okay, are you for it? Are you against it? Where are you at in this? Why are you asking me this question?" Here's how I typically answer that question, though. I will say, "Well, you know, I think we have to believe in predestination to a certain extent because the word is in the Bible. Ephesians one says that we are predop- uh, predestined to be adopted." As sons and daughters of God. So the word is there, so we have to believe in it. The question is, what does it mean when it says that we have been predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters of God? And I will say to the person who asked the question, if given the opportunity, so what do you think it means? Now it's not because I'm afraid to tell them what I think it means, but part of the reason I answer the question in that way is because for Practically speaking, if you're somebody who is really strong on predestination, that says God has to act on our behalf in, for anyone to come to faith in Christ. Or if you're really kind of like on the other side of the spectrum where you think, well, that really what that means is that God just looked through the annals of history and knew who would choose him if given the opportunity. And that's what that means. Like practically speaking, we should function the same. So it should not be something that we argue about all the time. Because our desire should be to share the message of Jesus with everyone that we can in hopes that as many possible come to faith in Jesus, regardless of what our view is on that. Now, if you have more questions about that, find me after the service. Another random theological question that I will get sometimes is what do you believe about tithing? What do you believe about tithing? That's the one I love the least. <laughs> Part of the, I'm not afraid to answer that question about tithing. I mean, I can tell you what I think about it, but the answer to that question is a little bit longer than I think most people when they ask the question, what they think. And the last thing I want to do on a Sunday morning, either right before a service or right after a service, is offend somebody because we're talking about money. I have shared this before. I do not like to talk about money. It's not that I'm afraid to talk about money, but I don't like to talk about it. Because people, like, I don't know, weirds people out. In fact, I'm not the only one. I read an article recently that gave three reasons why pastors and churches don't like to talk about money. And so I read through this article, and it was really fascinating to me, because I agree 100% with everything that was in the article, so much so that it was as if I could have written that article. But it gave three reasons why pastors and churches don't like to talk about money. The first reason is this, because we don't want to be lumped in with bad examples. As I was reading it, I was like, "Yes, absolutely," because I think that there are bad examples out there. There are churches that, at least the perception is, and definitely pastors, I, I think this is true too, like that are just really driven by by money and and oftentimes like the pastors, the fame and fortune that can come with the celebrity side of being a pastor, which I don't even like to think about. So I'm like, "Yeah, man, like for sure." I don't want to be lumped in with the bad examples. Second reason that pastors don't like to talk about money, is because it seems self-serving. And again, as I was reading through, I was like, yes, absolutely, I feel that way. We've actually talked about this on our lead teams. We have a, on our staff lead team meetings every week. And you know, one of the things that we need to do a, as a team, one of the responsibilities that I have is to encourage people to give. And so we talk about, okay, like, what do we need to do to encourage people to give? Well, we need to tell them where their money is going. And so sometimes in the service, when we do the offering portion of our service. We talk about those things from time to time, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I know we need to tell them where their money goes, but like when people give, that pays my salary. And so the last thing that I want to do is stand up on Sunday morning and say, hey, when you give, you make sure that my mortgage is paid this month. Or I don't want to give you the idea, the more you give, the more I make, right? So like on some level, this, this seems really kind of self-serving, but the reality is, that's true. I earn an income based on the giving of people. Third reason that churches don't like to talk about money is that they don't want to offend guests. And again, I would say, absolutely. We've got guests here this morning, and I'm talking about money. And, and, and so I'm thinking, like, how are they perceiving this message? Like, this is, these are things that are going through my mind right now. And so my fear is that we give you a... a maybe offend guests, and then they lump us into the bad churches category, and so then we go through that whole cycle again. And so, here's the deal. I've said all of that to say this. Today, we are talking about money. (laughs) In fact, the the title of this morning's message is Church Finance 101. Um, So we are finishing our series called The Finish Line. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the last half of the book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul... is using this language and imagery of a runner to talk about his pursuit of Jesus. So honestly, this, the way that we're finishing this series is a little bit odd, because we've done really well to, to be tight with our, our own imagery, and we've talked about running throughout this series and, and, and all of those things, but all of that goes out the window today. And it's not our fault, it's Paul's fault, because he has now changed subject matters as he finishes up this letter. He started the book of Philippians by thanking the church for their partnership in the gospel. As he ends the letter, he returns back to that same theme again, and that's the section that we're going to be finishing out the book. So if you've got a a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look this morning at uh, verses 10 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen as I read it here in just a second, Uh, or if you... Are you version Bible app user? You can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. There's lots of great resources in that event. But here's what the Apostle Paul says as he finishes this letter to the church at the city of Philippi. "I rejoice in the Lord greatly, because once again, you renewed your care for me. You are in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstance, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but that I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, the title of this morning's message, Church Finance 101. The structure of this morning's message is going to be really simple because there are two points today. Point number one is this. According to Church Finance 101, according to me, this is my um, description of Church Finance 101, the church should be completely transparent on financial matters. The church should be completely transparent on financial matters. So as I mentioned just a second ago, the Apostle Paul began the letter to the church at Philippi, thanking them for their gift and their partnership in the gospel, which was primarily a, a physical financial partnership. He returns back to it at the end of the book as he wraps things up. But I don't know if the verses that we read this morning struck you in the same way that they struck me. Because what Paul says to me seems a little odd. Because he begins by saying, hey, thank you for the gift that you've given to me. But then he says, but I didn't really need it. But I'm glad that you sent it. Even though I didn't really need it, it's good that you sent it. And I'm really appreciative of what you've done. But I want you to know I didn't really... I would be okay if you didn't send it. And so it's really weird, this like strange back and forth, like almost waffling. Like, is he glad that they sent it? Did he need it? Did he not need it? Like, what's happening? Why is the Apostle Paul saying what he does in this letter? I think the reason that Paul is is going back and forth, like, I'm glad you sent this gift, but I didn't really need your gift, is because he didn't want to be lumped in with the bad examples either. Because in the Apostle Paul's day, there were religious teachers or quote-unquote spiritual leaders who would go into towns, minister to people, teach people, and they were doing it purely for the sake of profit. And so as he's writing to this church who is partnering with him financially, he's saying to them, hey, I want you to know I am not nor have ever been in this for the money. In fact, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker, in the world of the church now, that word tent maker, that phrase, there two words, whatever it is, um, it has become a reference to, like metaphorically, anybody who is a pastor but who also has an outside income. But Paul was the original tent maker, literally a tent maker. He made tents. So when he was going on his missionary journeys, visiting these different towns, establishing these churches, he made tents to support himself. He did so because he didn't want to be dependent or feel like, you didn't want to make other people feel like they had to give to him to support him. So he wanted to be able to support himself. Now the Apostle Paul talked about that in other letters. And he said, I could have asked for support if I wanted to. And he says a minister is worthy of his wages, but for the Apostle Paul, he chose not to do that. And I think in part, because he didn't want to be lumped in with those bad examples that were around in the society of his day. Just like we don't want to be lumped in with the bad examples of other churches who seem to be driven by money because they're out there. And so I don't want anybody to think, like, that's all we talk about is money. And so that's why I'm sometimes hesitant to talk about money or I'm really careful sometimes in the way that we talk about money. And so recognizing that we don't want to be lumped in with the bad examples, I think that's why churches should be completely transparent on financial matters. If you've ever been to a church, if you ever go to a church in the future and they're not transparent on their finances, you should ask, like, what are they trying to hide? Because we should be completely transparent on everything financial. Now, and I want our church to be that way. But I recognize because of how irregularly we talk about finances there could be the perception that we're not completely transparent on finances. But I want you to know, if you ever have questions, I am more than willing to to answer any of those questions. Um, But what I want to do for just a couple of minutes this morning is just walk through our budget so that when you give, you know what your money is being spent on. Uh, And again, the goal in this is just to let you know so that you're a little bit more informed. So we've got... Our budget number's on the screen, so you can kind of follow me through in this, but our, our budget this year is a little over $900,000. And I want you to know, I, 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 if you have questions specifically, I'll, I'll try to answer whatever specific question that you have, but rather than going like line by line to where every dollar is spent, typically we look at it in large categories. Um, and so I just want to run through some of the categories for you. The largest category that we have in, in our budgeted expenses is the administrative category, which totals a little over $624,000. It's by far the largest category that we have that includes uh, salaries, it includes some office expenses, um, it also includes uh, childcare workers that we pay. Uh, we have a couple of days a week where we pay childcare workers. Uh, during groups so that groups drop their kids off here at the church and are are cared for while uh, parents are in groups. So all of that stuff is lumped in there. Some of you may not realize this, but we have four full-time people in pastoral roles. We also uh, employ five people part-time in various roles. So there are nine of us um, all together that we consider on staff, but that does not include our child care workers as well. That total 624,000 is roughly 69% of our budget. There are some industry standards or sort of recommendations to churches with these big categories and typically a church will spend somewhere between 40 and 60% on personnel costs. So when you look at that we're a little bit on the high side, but if you took out what we pay to childcare workers, if you took out the Office expenses that we have that are lumped into our administrative category, we get a lot closer to that 60%. The next category that we have, um, it's actually kind of maybe about two-thirds down the list, and then I'll, I'll work back up. But our ministries total um, is 113267 and 65 cents. Um, so that's for all of our ministries, which totals out to be about 13% of our budget. The recommended uh, percentage that is spent on ministries is typically about 20%. So we're a little bit low there, but that's somewhat intentional um, because we've chosen to invest in people more than programs. We feel like our programs can be better as we invest in people rather than simply investing in programs. So there's on some level a conscious decision in that. So within that ministries total, we are, have budgeted 18000 uh, a little over $18,000 in our Connections Ministries. Primarily, that's a lot of the, the events that we do throughout the year. Um, groups, uh, $2,800. and Primarily, that's some stuff to help out with our adult small groups. Our Kids Ministry budget is 15900 Student Ministries, 23050 And then Music and Media is 53255 which is primarily all the stuff that makes Sunday mornings work. The next area, uh, large categories are property, which we have budgeted $111,325 uh, this year, or which comes out to be about 12% of our budget. Typically the recommended uh, amount, percentage to spend on property, which includes utilities, insurance, those kinds of things, is about 20%, so you can see we're a little bit low on that side. But the reason that we are low is because we have not included our mortgage on this building in our operational budget yet. And so that, uh, our mortgage total is a little over $13,000 a month, which we will have to budget in next year. So we, if you were to add that in, then we would be right around that 20% mark. The last uh, big category is missions, which we have budgeted 78500 for Uh, this year. And so that missions money goes to our projects in Panama, Nepal, and India, as well as our support for the Allsups, who are missionaries with MANA Worldwide, who are part of our church. Um, It also includes some local ministries that we support, like Community Link Mission, which is a food pantry over in Saginaw, and also includes some support for our Serve Sunday partners, like Clean Up USA. We, We support them on a regular basis as well. So that 78500 is about 9% of our budget, which the recommendation is that we should be giving 10% of our budget um, to other ministries to support other ministries. And so we're really close there. But outside of just what we have budgeted, we have already sent 14, 000, over $14,000 out to our ministry partners this year that has come in through designated giving. Um, and so that's really good. So that's really where your money goes. Um, when you give, that is what, what, what things go towards. And again, if you have any questions specifically about any of that stuff, I'd be glad to answer that. If I don't know the answer this morning, I'll go find the answer and get that back to you. But according to Church Finance 101, I think that the church should be completely transparent on financial matters. I think you should know where things are going. The second uh, point, remember, the message is really simple today. So point number two, the church is completely dependent on the generosity of its partners. So you might be saying, well, like, where do we get that $900,000? Where does the money come from? Our only source of income is through the generous giving of people who are a part of the Table Community Church. There is no outside funding at all for any of our operational expenses. Everything that comes in is given to us through our offerings. Now, we can come in a service, but... Over 50% of our folks now give online, and so it's through that, um, just that regular generosity. So knowing that, part of my responsibility as a lead pastor is to foster that generosity and help people to understand both how to do it and why to do it. And that's what I want to talk about in the rest of our time together this morning. Because our only source of income is the generosity of people who are a part of our church. So how do we do that? As Paul is writing this kind of this back and forth in those first couple of verses, hey, thanks for sending your gift, but I don't really need your gift. But I'm thankful that you sent your gift. And he says, but I've learned the secret to being content. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, which is that famous verse that in its context has nothing to do with winning football games, regardless of where it is uh, worn when you take the field. But it is everything to do with being content. So, how do we become more generous? The secret to generosity is contentment, not abundance. The secret to generosity is contentment, not abundance. So, as Paul is writing, he's talking about his own contentment. In this case, the one who is receiving. But at the same time, in light of what he's saying, I think that there is a really important uh, factor in this for us who give. And the only way for us to give generously is to be content. A lot of times people think this way. I don't have much right now, so I can't give. But man, if I get that raise, then I'll start giving. Or at some point, like, we'll get ahead and then I'll start giving. Or when I make a certain amount of, of, of money, get a you know, new salary, whatever it is, then I'll start giving. But the problem is it rarely works itself out that way. The reason for that is the way that we live as Americans. 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, meaning they spend every dollar that comes in in a given month. 48% of Americans who make over $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. See, the problem is that we live in a more is better society. So we might think, well, when I get that raise, then I'll be able to give. But the truth is, because we're always looking for more and better stuff, we can always find things to spend our money on, and we're never able to give. That's why we have to learn to be content with what we have not seeking to get the newest and the best things all of the time, but being content with what we have so that that frees us up to be generous. I think the Bible teaches what I've kind of referred to over the years as a 10-10-80 principle. That the idea is that we give first, give 10% first, then we save 10, and then we have to learn to be content to live on 80 Living according to that 101080 principle, it builds margin into our lives. So that we're giving first as a discipline. So we're giving regularly and being generous in that way, but then it also builds greater margin so that when there are needs, special needs that come up, we can respond and be generous to those needs as well. So the secret to generosity is contentment. It's not abundance. It's not just about getting more, because we'll figure out how to spend that. We have to learn to be content with what we have. Now, let's talk about why this is so significant. I love what the Apostle Paul says in verse 13. Right? This is kind of in the back and forth. Hey, thanks for your gift. I didn't really need it, but I'm really glad that you sent it because, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I, that I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. The product of generosity is life change. So when you give, You are giving to see people's lives change. So Paul is writing he says, I I didn't need it for me, but I'm glad you sent it for you and for what is being credited to your account. See, their financial generosity to Paul allowed him to minister to more and more people, and they were the ones who were getting credit for those people that were being ministered to. So when you give generously, you're giving to see people's lives changed. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about why those of you that consider the table to be your church home, like why you're here. What is it, what is it that you love about the table? How has your faith grown here? How have we been able to, to minister to you, to serve you? How have you seen your faith come alive? That's one of the, the things that I love about leading our growth groups on Wednesdays, just a little plug for that at some point, if you want to be a part of those. It's because I get to be a little bit more hands-on with folks. And I see how people's faith is coming alive, see how they're learning, how they're growing, and it's incredible to be a part of that because I know that God is making a difference in the lives of people who are a part of our church, and I love just being a, a small part of that. And so I want you to know, though, when you give, really what you're doing It's kind of paying forward what has been done for you. Whatever we've been able to do for you, because of your generosity, we can do that for other people. And so your giving is giving so that other people's lives are changed. And somewhere, according to what Paul says, there is a ledger in heaven. And when you give generously, your name is there and associated with your name are the names of other people who've been ministered to, who've been reached, whose faith is coming alive as a result of your generosity. Like that's what you're giving towards. You're giving to the the ministry of life change in other people. So we are completely dependent upon the generosity of the folks who are a part of our church. We've talked about how to become more generous. It's through contentment. Why it's so important? Because we want to see people's lives change. But through this, there is a promise too. The Apostle Paul said at the end of that section, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice, he said, my God will meet your needs. There's a promise involved. Not God's going to make you rich if you give. Sometimes that's a message that's presented in churches. I don't see that here, but it's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, when you give, there's a promise that God's going to meet your needs. I'm going to finish up really fast church finance 101 two points. The church should be completely transparent on financial matters and we are completely dependent upon the giving, the generosity of people who are a part of our church. And so those of you that are giving generously and regularly, thanks for doing that. And I trust that God's going to meet your needs and he's going to meet our needs. If you are here and you would say that you consider yourself to this the table to be your church home, and you're not giving, let me just ask you to consider regular, generous giving so that we're able to continue to minister to people because somehow, in some way, that credit's going to go on your ledger. I love the way that Paul ends this section before he concludes with the greeting. He says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we've talked this morning about some very practical things, I pray that you would develop in our hearts, all of our hearts, a spirit of generosity. That we would learn to be content with what we have so that we can be free to give And I pray, God, that you continue to use our church to see people's lives change, people coming to faith in Jesus, people understanding what the life of faith is really all about. God, I pray that you would meet all of our needs as a church, corporately, and then individually as we seek to give and honor you with what we have, God, that you would meet every need that we have as well. Thanks for that promise that you supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.